This is the Mediocre Outdoors Podcast, Episode 7, Ice Hole. This is the 101 of ice fishing. The first timers ice fishing, how to ice fish, and everything ice fishing. I hope you enjoy it. food you're saying i haven't been playing with it in a while because right. my guts are messed up and uh but yeah you got one of these and it made me really want one of those meatball gravy sandwiches that sounds really good but have you been into uh uncle jim's yet that yes. at the store i have i i was really impressed i bought uh some of his teriyaki jerky which i'm not a teriyaki jerky person yeah but it was absolutely delicious i i, I it wasn't too sweet it wasn't like too sticky. Uh, the jerky was really, uh, really firm. Like uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like it wasn't dense but soft. It was dense, but it wasn't soft. It was like hard, chewy, but it wasn't like chew leather. I don't know. It was it was probably some of the best jerky I've ever eaten, texture wise, and had really good flavor. Yeah. So other than that, no. But I hear that they have some. Uh, some homemade uh, hot dogs and stuff in there. That yeah, are they got good. they got wieners in there. They had pizzas, the smoked mac and cheese. I bought. He's got smoked pickled eggs. What? Yeah, he's got them in like four packs, and then like a gallon jug. The four. I bought a four pack. They were like five dollars, which is a little steeper than I want to pay for pickled eggs. But uh, it was a really good pickled egg. But it's like there's four of them, so you're gonna eat them all. Right. And then you've got this little jar, and you're like, well, now what the hell do I do with it? <laughs> right, mine's in my fridge right now because I'm a cheapskate, and uh, oh, you can use it for pickled eggs in the future. That's exactly well. Yeah, I left all the liquid in it. Randy was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna boil, I'm gonna boil some eggs here soon." Okay, well, I'll keep this liquid. Right. I hate picking the shells off of uh, backyard chicken eggs. They're yeah. so tough to get off the eggs. Right. The, cal- the calcium so strong. Yeah. And I don't, for whatever reason, I think it might be because we've been throwing a lot more table scraps their way lately. Uh, They're happy girls. They are laying, everybody's laying uh, at least one a day. Somebody might be even doing a little over one a day. Right. Um, so you're, so you're we're swimming full, in them now. You're full on chicken farming. Yeah. Well, we're about ready to have our second litter of rabbits. So, so yeah. Are they um, meat rabbits? What? Uh, yeah, they they're rabbits. Dutch rabbits. So yeah, they're, they're bigger, they're black and white rabbit. Um, but yeah, I was, I was telling, teaching Autumn about marketing. I was like, yeah, we're looking yeah, at the calendar. Yeah, I'm like, you might as well double your price. It's Easter time. Mm-hmm. At, least, at least, uh, get some money to build some more material to build a bigger hutch for your sure. whelping pens for your rabbits. Yeah. Thanks. I actually, when I moved out here, I have, I had been debating for a while trying to raise meat rabbits because yeah. it's a relatively easy animal. You don't get a lot of meat out of it, but you can market that high-end meat to, you know, swanky, right. you know, $25, $30 plate places. I've had it a couple of different times at, you know, nicer farm-to-table restaurants. It's very good. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. It's really good. It's called awesome pepper. That's one way to do it. Dad, why do you eat Because they're so delicious. Here, and little elk and ducks and... If you were if you were to eat nothing that was cute, you'd never eat anything. Right. 
That's no way to live your life, Mark. You don't know that. So you never snuggled with a kitty. So let's let's introduce yourself. So. What? Okay. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna introduce ourselves. Okay. So. Who do I have in the back seat? What's your name? What's your name? Autumn. Autumn. How old are you, Autumn? Seven. What and what are we doing today? Going ice fishing. Going ice fishing. Okay. And in my passenger seat, I have Spencer. Spencer, Spencer introduce Johnson. Introduce yourself there. Spencer Johnson, what's your uh, what's your experience and uh, what do you bring to the table today? <laughs> um, well, I grew up in the Midwest, and I did a lot of ice fishing with my dad growing up, and then. Eventually learned what I was doing and did it on my own a lot. And then I moved out here where there's no ice. So I haven't been ice fishing a lot, but came up here to this little alpine lake uh, a couple weeks ago and we got a few. It's kind of a long drive for what you're going to, you know, two hours up, fish for three, four hours, two hours back home. But um, it seemed pretty reliable. We're, what's that? <laughs> so... Yeah, and that's, it's kind of ironic that uh, we're actually doing this, because uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a podcast with some some fellers, and we were talking about ice fishing on the east side, huh? and one Technically, of, we are on the east side. Yeah. Uh, one of them made a comment, one of them made a comment that, uh, that they, you could do it on the west side, but you got to go to the high cascades. Yeah. And it just completely irony that here we are two weeks later going to the high cascades to go ice fishing. Like, yeah. it, it's just kind of weird how that worked out. So here we are, and we're going to do some instruction on how to ice fish. So, background Midwest, do a lot of ice fishing. I know nothing, never been ice fishing, always wanted to go. Completely terrified of ice. So, um, no, we're not going to Eventually. Die. I mean, yeah, though. not today. I brought life vests and, and 300 feet of rope, so we're fine. <laughs> okay, so I've fallen through, truly fallen through the ice one time. And, um... Is it cold? Yeah, of course it's cold. It's ice. Yeah. Um, so the one time I, I really fell through uh, was over spring break in Minnesota. I was home from college, and a buddy of mine... We went fishing at two spots, both within a quarter mile of my house. One of them's kind of down in a little ravine. It's a backwater marina off of the Mississippi River. What am I looking for? That, that, just one? Yeah. A backwater marina off the Mississippi River, and it. Uh, we popped a few holes, and we had 18 inches of good, good clean ice. And when I say that, I mean, you know, uh, it was sound. It was... Uh, it was hard all the way through. Sometimes you'll get kind of punky-looking ice or uh, honeycomb uh, at the end of the season, which is what you really want to look out for. Um, Can you elaborate on this a little bit, exactly what the, what that looks like for people that have never um, seen something like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could Google it and find a good picture, but basically picture a honeycomb. And so as the ice is coming apart, it kind of melts in weird little patterns. It's very difficult to see. 
Um, the irony is that when you get up real close to it, you can see it's fine, but that's not where you want to be. That's, yeah, observe it, right? That's the last place you want to be. So we had fished a spot, hadn't got anything, you know, for a couple hours. So let's bump to this uh, other lake about a quarter mile down the road. And this lake is about 150 acres, not big, just a round bowl, pretty shallow. We walked out, we drilled a couple holes, we're hitting, instead of 18 inches, now we're hitting two to four. Okay. Um, four is the kind of the generally recognized guidelines for uh, for an adult man. Or people, I guess, in general. Right. Um, 200 pounds, two feet ice. Yeah, so we okay. said, well, you know, whatever, this lake is, the whole lake is three feet deep. If we go through, we're going to hit the, hit the, we're going to hit the mud, and right. we're going to climb out and go back to my house. It's a quarter mile away. No big it deal. was It was low risk. Okay. Um, for falling through. So we went out there and we drilled we drilled a hole every, I don't know, 40 yards and we put it in it's a, kind of a, it's a device called a tip down so it's basically a rod that has a pin through it right near the reel but it's, it's like a drum reel, it's an old school, you know, there's no drag on it, it's just a spool that you tighten with a wing nut. Okay. Um, <laughs> real ghetto. Yeah. But it has a stand, so when you put this thing on the stand, it balances at a 45-degree angle, right? So the rod tips in the air, and we always used to put pennies on the back or on the front of it, so it was very neutral. So you could kind of slap that rod tip with your finger, and as it was sitting in the air, it would fall down. Okay. So when you get a fish, basically what happens is that fish takes the rod, and now it's, uh, instead of it sitting at a 45-degree angle, it may, might sit at a 90-degree angle, or maybe it's actually whacking the rod up, tip up and down, just trying to run with it, but the rod's stuck in the holder. So you just walk over there and pick the rod up. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like, and the tip-up is the opposite, right? Uh, I don't know if I'd say the opposite, but similar but different. Um, but it comes up, right? Correct. Or a flag yeah, basically, a tip-up is a flag, or, you know, people call them flags. But it's a spool and a flag, and when the spool starts to spin, the flag pops up. Okay. So when a fish takes your bait and starts swimming away, the flag pops up, you walk over there. The line is theoretically free-spooling as the fish just swims away at its leisure, uh, and you grab the line and hand-line the whole thing in. Oh. Um, these tip-downs are basically just a way with, you know, sometimes a fish bites and they feel the bobber, and yeah. they say, oh, this isn't natural, and they swim away. Well, the tip-down, in theory... Um, doesn't give you that resistance. The fish shouldn't feel anything when it hits. So do you use a bobber then? On the tip down? Or on, on either. either. You don't use it on either. Okay. Um, no, what you do with your tip down is normally you, you set your depth however deep you want to be fishing. You set your depth and then um, you just put it in there and you might check it every 30 or 40 minutes just to make sure your minnow is still alive or if that's what you're using. Right, or whatever bait is. Yeah. And most of the time, tip downs, we would use those for crappies. Okay. Um, I've caught walleyes and pike on it, but most of the time you're looking for crappies. Gotcha. And you're within, you know, normally, if you're fishing eight feet of water, you're a foot or two off the bottom. Crappies, crappies will come through at a lot of different um, depth bands. They'll come in, so I've caught them right under the ice in 30 feet of water, and I've caught them right off the bottom in 30 feet of water. Um, most of the time when I would target crappies back in the uh, upper Midwest... I would do it in the winter time, and I would do it in at least 20 feet of water. Um, I've caught some really big crappies in the springtime, but um, ice fishing seems to be the most, for me at least, uh, the most effective way for me to put a bunch of them in the freezer. So I used to do that where I'd go out in Wisconsin, I could legally run three tip downs per person. So I had, I think I made 15 of these things. Okay. You make them with a 
I used a, one of those doorknob saws. So I yeah. drilled I drilled a four inch, a four inch circle, then a three inch circle, and a four inch circle, and I glued them together. Okay. So it's just a really tiny spool. I put like sixty feet of line on each of these things because you're never fishing that deep. That is the ghettoest thing. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I took a bunch of rods. <laughs> I, I took dowels and I drilled a hole across yeah. a hole through them. And, well, it was that, or you can buy them, but they're like twenty-five bucks a piece. No, I love that. I and love that. That's, so I made that's what I'm all you about. Know, fifteen of them, so I could bring four buddies and myself tip down fishing. And we do this. We would set them up in a known spot, and you do a lot of times. I would do a grid. So, so you're using doweling for the rods, then? No, I use old rod tips for the rods. Uh, Anytime you find a rod yeah. on the side of the road or down by the river, sure. I'd clip the tip. The you know the, the first the first three feet. Okay. Or if it was a two-piece rod, and I just found the front. Gotcha. I had tons of these things. You know, my dad used to run that after-school program uh, right. called the Outdoor Club in uh, Minnesota, Hastings, Minnesota, at the school he worked at. So this guy, he had 55-gallon drums full of rods, gifted. Gotcha. There was programs where he could get them fixed. So he always had these crappy old ratty rods, and I would occasionally do that with him. I also, a couple of times, broke really nice rods, and I essentially created out of a six- or seven-foot walleye rod a nice three-foot Heavy duty, like uh, I call them my lake trout fishing rods, okay. or your jigging for pike rods. Right. Really heavy, stout rods you can put a ten pound braid on and jig. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So, uh, so you could do you could fish three different rods at the same time because you didn't have to man each rod. Well, right. yeah. I mean, the legal requirement in Wisconsin is three per person, okay. and that's winter and summer. Uh, in Minnesota, it was. It was one for the longest time, and uh, one in the summer, two through the ice, but then it's always two on the border water, so like if you're on the St. Croix for Mississippi Rivers, you could always run two rods, because it's Minnesota-Wisconsin border. Um, but yeah, with tip-ups and tip-downs especially, it's really easy to run a lot of them at once. And with the tip-downs, what we would do is you say, okay, you know, say this whole area is four feet deep, well then there's one little river channel coming through that's six feet deep. Right. So you kind of hit, you'd, you'd get some of your rods, you know, say it was you and three buddies, so you've got four four people, three each, you got a dozen of these tip downs. You'd set a couple on the on the shallows, the shallow flats next to the channel, you'd set some on the drop-off, and you'd set some in the channel. So you're okay. covering the whole thing, and then, it, you know, but you're, you're, we're popping holes like every 15 to 20 feet. And oh. we got it on a grid, you know, an XY axis kind of thing. Right. <clears throat> and... We would frequently have one hot hole for whatever reason. You never know why it is. You just, just one, get the fit. You know, maybe there's a stump down there. Maybe there's a little piece of structure that they like. Whatever. I don't know. Um, but, you know, if you start catching all your fish in in that little creek channel, well, then you find where the creek channel is going both directions, and you slam all your rods into the creek channel because that's where you're getting fish or right. whatever. You know? Right, right, right. So you're, you're, you're honing in. You're... You're kind of like yep. a shotgun where you're just spraying holes out there. Yeah, and, and then where, you're, you, where you connect. Whenever you connect, you kind of try to figure out what's going on. Like any other kind of fishing. Right, right. right. Except for you're, you're not as, well, you're you're mobile, but you're not as mobile. Like It's, yeah. it's more work than well, you can go. There was a spot near where I went to college that guys would go out and tip down fish for crappies. Right. And, I mean, they're normally between 15 and 50 shacks out there all winter long. Um, and this was off of uh, the Wisconsin River uh, near Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Um, just a big backwater. Right. You know, and uh, at least a couple of sections. It was big. And the whole thing was, you know, between 2 and 10 feet 
So there was a spot kind of towards the top of the bay where a lot of times there's a two or three foot sheet of ice and there's maybe only 15 inches of water below it. Gotcha. But you're getting fish out of it, so who cares? You right. know, it's weird. And I grew up fishing backwaters off the Mississippi like that. Um, but we'd go out there, and other guys would do the same thing. There was guys, you know, you got your shack, so it's normally a camper or something like that that they've created with a wood stove in it. And these guys would come out a lot of times with a plow truck or a snowmobile. Or it's not a snowmobile, but a, um, a snowblower. And they would, like, clear a plowed area near their shack so that they could put, like, 10 or 12, 15 tip-downs in, like, a little field right out the door of their camper. So And then they would sit there and watch it. They'd sit in there and play Pinochle and Euchre and drink beer and cook sausages. And it's it's it, That was low impact. But I did a lot of stuff where uh, a couple of lakes I used to fish were um, like an NRCA, like a Natural Resources Conservation Area. Right. Um, so you got to, like, park your truck and then hike a quarter mile in the snow down to the lake, and then you got to walk out, you know, non-motorized vehicle stuff. Sure. I used to do a lot of that, hiking in, and just going to a spot that's a little farther away than everybody else goes. Finding your, finding your yeah. niche spot. Yeah, but it, it's kind of tough on a lot of the medium-sized lakes in Minnesota. You have resort communities, so there's folks that, like the entire periphery of the lake is covered in vacation homes. Right. Maybe 10% of those hold people year-round, and the other 90% are just vacationers. So you go to these lakes, and there's people that know about these lakes, and they come there to ice fish, even though they don't live there. So you get these huge, um, huge villages out on these lakes. Um, but it's funny, you know, you go to one of these villages, there's a hundred shacks, and it's like, that doesn't mean people are catching fish. Right, it just means people are getting away to do something. Sure, and that's, add, that's crazy to me to think that, because you could never get away with something like that over here. I mean, what do you mean? Well, but you know, basically, a private lake is completely bought out by by. Oh no! You can anybody stuff. can go out there. I'm just saying that the entire shoreline of the lake is covered in homes. Right, that's what I'm saying. And here, you wouldn't, you don't, you get, you get ran out. There's no way. If you had, like, say, if you get up north of where we're at, let's say, where it's a little more urbanized, and even if they were vacation homes, if somebody saw you out on that lake. Man, they would run you off. Even yeah, though if there's a public launch, I mean. Oh, you know you you have public. You're talking about public launches. And stuff. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm th- I'm just thinking you these are, private lakes that no, no. people. Okay. So, I'm almost. I wonder if the access laws are a little bit different. I'm sure they are. Anything back home that has a public launch or whatever, you know, or you can get to any side of the lake from public ground. You can get out on it. There's oh, okay. no. You, you you're you're open to go. Yeah, there was one that I wanted to fish for a long time. I thought it had a, a good crappie potential, so I went up there on one of my ice fishing walkabouts. I'd take my camper and my truck and right. drive a few hours north and camp for like four or five days in my camper on a lake somewhere so I could fish through the night. Tip ups <laughs> and, and some holes drilled in the floor. That was nice. And uh, But I'd bring my little popover uh, ice shack and I'd go, I'd take my truck to different lakes in the area during the day so I wasn't tied to one lake the whole time. I remember there was one, I was like, okay, I'm going to get to it, and I took my map out, it was before smartphones were, you know, well, right. before I had a smartphone, I guess, and uh, I figured out where the access was, well, there was a county road that went right next to it, but there's a bunch of signs that say private property, no lake access here, and it's wintertime, and the launch wasn't plowed, 
but there was an old Forest Service road that went around the backside, so I said, okay, I'm going to get to it. I put her in four-wheel drive, and I got about a mile and a half off down an unplowed road before I got stuck. Beef jerky is chewy. Yeah, beef jerky is chewy. Well, let's let's, let's give uh, our listeners some, some information on how to get started on this stuff. So, if you want to go ice fishing, right, like... You're going to have to go find your spot. You're going to have to find somewhere where there's good ice. Where we talked about 200 pounds, two feet of ice is a good rule of thumb. But let's talk about, like, wait, two, two feet? Is that what you said? Four inches. Oh, I thought you said I thought you said 24 inches. Nope, four inches. Okay, four inches for 200 pounds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, some that makes you feel a lot even, better. Some people <laughs> would even say six inches, but... Okay, so... I have a general rule that early and late ice, I only fish spots where I know the water's shallower than I am tall. You could stand up and So if through. I fell through and, and I could stay vertical, right. I would be okay. But Another thing guys used to do, and I didn't do it much because I almost always fish with a buddy, is they would take a dowel, like a one-inch dowel, and screw a screw into the end of it and then clip the tip of it. Okay. So it's basically like an ice peg. Yeah. Because you can, if you are to fall in and you're just treading water there... It's not like in the movies. You can't just crawl out of that. No. There's no physical way. You're all bundled breaks. up, and now all your clothing is waterlogged. Yeah, and if you went through, it's probably going to keep breaking, right? Yeah. Um, but you take these little, you know, these two things that you can use as, like, little, uh, ice you know, picks. ice picks, basically. Yeah. And guys would duct tape them to their wrists, duct tape them to their jacket. That's so that when you, went, when you went <laughs> in, that they were always there. Mm-hmm. That was so you forget about them. You know, while you're fishing. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so, sorry. Well, I have another started. question. What? Okay, what's your question? Um, if... Yeah, speak up loud, babe. Um, if, um, are all four of us, are all three of us going to be on four inches of ice? I weigh 120 pounds. <laughs> no, that's yeah. a great question, yes. actually, Autumn. I Good. So I used to fish some rivers where... It would be six inches, six inches, six inches, and then your next hole, two inches. And you're like, oh, let's stay away from that spot. And we were out there one day, and we were jigging, and my dad got a bite and said, oh, look at the, you know, I can see my jig down there. I just think I just got a bite. He keeps jigging, and all four of us kind of leaned over the center of his hole to look in, and it went boom, and you hear a big thump. And, like, seven cracks came and, and hit that hole all at the same time from all directions. It happens. The ice didn't break, you know. Um a little sounder than you think it is most of the time but uh and, and then also we have displacement right so our weight autumn if, if as long as we're not all standing on the exact same spot that weight is distributed out so each square foot of ice can hold you know if it's a, a foot by a foot that you're standing on and it's six inches deep that's going to hold one person and then another spot right next to that's going to hold that size of person okay the fish, well, I, nobody knows. That's why we're fishing for them. The, la- the ones I caught last week, and I think the biggest one was about a foot, 11 or 12 inches, uh, rainbow trout. There was some brook trout that were a little smaller. How many snows are going to be? Uh, the snow was between two and three feet deep where, where I was. Well, it's been, <laughs> it's been snowing all, it's yeah, been snowing all night. It has yeah. It'll be okay. We'll get you out there. It'll. Yeah. Honestly, I walked out there with... Uh, my buddy hippie rob and we um if one guy was in front then the second guy could walk this way yeah okay, Dad, you're going in front. okay. 
<laughs> uh, oh, I figured that's why I brought the sled. I figured I'd just pull you in the sled. It'd be easier. Okay. Uh, anyways, okay, so fishing gear. So what kind of rod are we looking at? What, what, what okay, we want to get into this as easy as possible. Yep. The, the easiest possible option right now is to find yourself some sort of medium weight two-foot rod with a reel package at like Cabela's or Bass Pro or Walmart or something. Like those little ugly stick uh, deck rods or whatever they call them. Or, think, so you told me about this. Yeah. I'd never heard of that before. Basically, all they did right there is they took an ice fishing rod from the Midwest and, slapped and they on slapped it. A, a dock rod label on it for yeah. the western half of the United States. <laughs> it um, works great as But a it doesn't rod. matter. Yeah. yeah, You know, that's totally fine. So it's a two-foot rod. It's the same thing, yeah. Something in the neighborhood of a two-foot rod. Um... I almost always run four-pound test, except for then when I fish for heavier stuff, I'll, I'll run eight. Okay. Um, I used to run one and two-pound test. Really? Oh, yeah. For panfish. You know, I did primarily perch crappie sunfish. For the so, ice. so I, we went and got some, we went and got some, uh, some line yesterday for our rod yep. on your specifications, and when I was there looking at the different lines, because, I mean, we're talking about how to get into this lowest cost of entry, period. Yep. Um, but we were looking, and my last podcast, we were talking a lot about braids and bass fishing. Yep. And, and I was thinking, well, the reason we want, like, four-pound tests is because the jigs we have are so small that we need the less resistance in the water as possible. Sure. So it doesn't fight the jig, right? Yep. That's why we're going Yep. So, I was looking, I was like, ah, oh, man, I wonder if I could find, like, a four or six pound braid, test braid line, mm-hmm. and that thing would be so microscopic thin, sure. that maybe there'd be zero. I used to run one pound braid. Okay. It's a special ice line. Okay. I mean, it's not, you know, they designed it braid. Apparently, here. they don't make that here. This well, <laughs> here's your problem with braided line and ice fishing. Okay. It when it's below freezing, yeah. guess what happens to braid? It freezes it up. Freezes. Oh, yeah, the water cool. soaks into it. It's porous, and it freezes. Yeah. And that can be really tough. Um, we got a stiff line. Yeah. I mean, well, everybody wants a stiff line, but nobody wants a stiff line. Yeah. <laughs> um, I use monofilament almost exclusively for jigging. Even yeah. when I'm running eight-pound tests, I use mono on the ice. Open water fishing, if I'm running any, if I'm running eight or above, I'm running braid. Almost, period. Okay. Uh, the exception to that is trolling. I will run monofilament and stuff. So you don't use fluorocarbon at all? No. Okay. It's too expensive uh, in relation to what I feel is the benefit. And that and I think it's too I think it's too expensive for what you actually get. I do think it's a better quality product. I have used it. I just am too cheap to use it on all of my rods. Yeah. I have, you know I have forty odd fishing reels. Sure. Which is not like a lot. I would call that middle of the pack. Uh, for, um, for somebody starting out that is, hasn't done no, much no, fishing, no, that is a that's, lot. That's yep. excess, excessive. But I yeah. do a lot of difference. I mean, I have, st- I have, I have a, at least one reel I can think of that has twelve hundred feet of one hundred and thirty pound test on it. So <laughs> you know. Dad, so you say you do a little fishing. Do a little fishing. Yeah. What, babe? Why do Pringles taste so good? That's that's not an appropriate question, but I have no idea. I think it's because of. Uh, the yellow dye number five, maybe? Monosodium glutamate. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so, well, and the reason, sorry, the reason I was asking about the, uh, the reason I was asking about the uh, uh, line is because the fluorocarbon, I noticed, is coming down in price. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't, I didn't look at yards on the spool yeah. uh, compared to the other lines, but 
I've always used, and a buddy turned me on to, to uh, Iser. Iser line, yeah. Iser oh, monofilament. And it doesn't look like much when you when you buy from the store. They I don't, have yeah, they don't spend a lot of money on marketing, so you get a little yep. cheaper price. Um, it's actually recommended to me by a couple people. Oh, dude, it, it is it is probably, in my opinion, one of the best monos out there. I have never had a stretch issue. I've never had uh, a memory issue as much as I have with other lines. It's just it's it's a good line. Um, but it's literally half the price of anything else. Yeah. The issue with um, the issue with ice fishing and just using your standard summertime gear, which I have totally done, yeah, is that line tends to have worse memory when it's really cold. So having a line that's designed for ice fishing or that comes stock on an ice fishing rod is probably a little bit better. Um, Do you think that's a chemical reaction where all the components are getting cold and shrinking up, and so it's making everything denser and stiffer? Could be. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I mean. It, Without being, you know, get into the physics of it a little. Yeah, bit. I, 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 I probably got a C in physics in high school. If I even took physics, I don't even yeah. remember. But yeah, I mean that's just that's you can do it. I've seen it. Yeah. When, you know, fifteen years ago, I used to see probably if I if I ice fished pretty hard all season, I would see fifteen guys throughout the course of the year with a full on walleye rod fish ice fishing. Right. You can catch fish doing it. It's not that hard. It's just right. You're seven feet from the hole. Right, know? right, right. So, so okay. So we got line. So a, a, a four pound monofilament is probably the the best line all around for getting in. I would say just get a, get four pounds. Okay. So two foot rod. Usually that comes something, with a reel. Yeah. If not, a lot of these are com- twenty twenty dollar combos. Okay. And if you're if you're really trying to do this for the first time. I wouldn't get too complicated. I'd get like some number ten to fourteen hooks. Okay. Yeah. Regular old bait holder hooks. You yep. know. That's what I got. Number a ten. Tw- a twelve pack and some split shots. Okay. You put your split shot a foot, foot and a half above it. You're just doing. You're just doing a hook and a weight. Little little. If, if you're going to try this for the fishing. first time. Yeah, or perch or whatever. Right. You know? uh, Panfish, something if you were going to go to your local uh, urban recreational pond and, and do some yeah. fishing. We just minus, minus the bobber. Sure, and I would recommend if you're going to try this for your first time, try bobber. Oh, I, really? I'm a, I'm a bobber. I'm a fan of bobber fishing. Here, oh, here the are ice? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here are the constraints with bobber fishing through the ice. Cold, right? If it is too cold and you are not in a shack, if it is below freezing, your bobber will ice up. Okay. You will not have a bobber. You will have a bobber inside a brick of ice. Right? So basically, you got a giant you got a, weight. Well, kind of, <laughs> but it still floats, right? Right, right. right. Um, so, you know, there, the mitigation of that is either be in a shack, fish when it's above freezing, or every five minutes, take that brick of ice out, and uh, uh, you take that brick of ice out, and you blow on it, and it melts that ice, and you fish for a little while longer. Okay. Um What's the what's the pros and I mean I guess that's a, kind of a con but what's the pros of fishing with bobber? Uh, you can set your rod down and walk away. Okay. I a lot of times used to set my rod on a bucket and I'd open the bale. Gotcha. And if you come back and your bobber's gone, well, guess what? There's probably a fish down there somewhere with it. <laughs> you, know, you know, you might not get it if you're gone too long, but whatever. Right. Um, I I used to a lot of times I would run if I was fishing three rods in my shack. Uh, Two of them would probably be bobbers, and one I would be jigging because you can really only jig one at a time. 
that's what I got. There's another version where instead of pushing down on a round knob on top, you hold vertically like you're gripping a rake, right? Okay. Those things suck. You can't put the downward pressure. So that one was like eight bucks cheaper, but having used those before, I knew not to buy that. So wait a minute. You're telling me there's no gas motor on this thing? We got to hand drill these That holes? is correct. Son of a... I used to have... Well, I still have it. It's at my dad's house in Minnesota, but uh, an old Jif... Uh, Jiffy Ice Auger is an American-made engine. They started making it. Don't fact-check me, but I'm pretty sure they started making Jiffs in China about five or eight years ago. Um, but this thing runs like a top. You know, leaks oil all over the place like yeah. any good motor does. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That thing was reliable as the day is long. So, yeah, a lot of two-strokes. Now, you know, they just started making them when I was leaving. It was propane-powered ice augers. It's a one-pound propane canister. And you can drill, like, 25 volts with them. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you can get those little $8 attachments for your 20-pound tank to fill refill your one-pounders. Right. They say don't do it. It's dangerous, but I don't know about that. I think that's a racket by the big propane company. Is, is it legal to do? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I've seen those. I've actually seen the little adapters. Oh, I used to use them all the time. You could buy them at the store. Um, well, you could buy Tannerite at the store, but that's not legal in Washington true, State, True, true. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, okay, so so auger. So there's other options. You could if your if your ice is thin enough, right? So right. six or eight inches, you could bring a hatchet. Good. No, I'm just talking about them. Um, you could bring a hatchet and try to chop through. If you have old holes in a place that is a popular ice fishing destination, a, a little hand axe is what I used to bring, just to pop open two inches of ice around the edge of an old hole. Right. Because why not? It right. It's less work. Who cares? Um, I'm really interested in this auger, though, now. Like, so, I did. I was not under the impression that there was a hand-drilling version of an auger. Like, I just figured the bit would be too big. Oh, no. So, these things, I mean, they are legitimately razor-sharp. Like, you do not kick them. Okay. Right? I mean, we're talking fully knife-sharp here. So, we, it just basically, you got a, a little angle on your... I get it. Like, the bevel... So, there's a... It, it's there's two blades on the end of a corkscrew. Get out here. <laughs> Time out. I can help. Okay. Everyone. I got. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyways. So yeah, there's two blades on the end of it. Uh, on the end of this auger. I bought a six incher. There were some four inchers that were cheaper, but four inch holes are really tough to get a fish through. Okay. Um. I my dad used to have a ten. Oh, was that that most of them were like eight? You're eight not eight is a very standard diameter. Okay. Um, but I made a choice here because how often am I gonna? How often am I really gonna be ice fishing out here for anything big enough where I want a bigger uh, auger? Okay. Not really. I mean, trout. I would. I mean, trout are a notorious one where you'd like to have a little bit bigger auger, but is it worth the extra thirty bucks? I mean, if I only paid fifty bucks for the auger. Right. Wasn't to me, so I bought a six. Okay, so we got we got a six inch hand cranking auger that we got off Amazon for let's say sixty bucks. Yeah, you got twenty dollars into your rod reel combo. Hopefully, it came with line. Yep. Find yeah. some worms. Maggots are the best, I think, for live. I'm a big live bait proponent, especially if they're under the ice. Whoa, well, no. Now people people that don't do a lot of fishing are going to say, "You want me to touch a maggot? Really? Or worm? Yeah." That is and the maggots are thing. actually less gross than worms when you think about it. What? Yeah. Well, what do you maggots, mean? Maggots don't have a slimy film on them. Yeah. So you can touch but that. But they eat rotten stuff. 
Well, yeah, that's true. So back home there was two versions that were pretty widely available. I don't know the exact uh, animals that they come from. I think one of them was a black fly and one of them was a bottle fly. So there's spikes and wax worms is what we used to call them. Maggots was kind of an interchangeable term for both of them. Okay. Um, The spikes look like a traditional black fly larva, whereas the maggot, or sorry, the... uh, the waxworm is a little bit bigger, a little plumper, but they don't hold up as well. All right, we got to go back. You need you need to explain better the what a standard maggot or waxworm or spike looks like. Because I don't think people oh, understand okay. what you're talking so, about. So a spike is uh, these are both like maggots, like a fly would reproduce. So a little white, little white, little white yep. worm-looking thing that's the size of a piece of rice. Maybe a little bigger. Yeah, so the spikes are a little bit bigger than a grain of rice, and the the waxworms, I would say, are, you know, if you feed them on, on stale bread and get them good and fattened up, some of these things might be a quarter inch across and three quarters of an inch long. Wait, now you're telling me you're, I'm you're, telling tell, you're this farming is what, your maggots. This is what my dad used to do when, when he, he uh, had this after-school program, and he'd bring 50 kids ice fishing once a week. Okay. Okay. So you need hundreds of these things. You can buy 500 or 200 counts, and they're like 10 bucks, you know? But so why not keep them alive on your counter? So you see... <laughs> in a glass bowl. They can't climb out of a glass bowl. I know this sounds really gross. It's not as gross as you pe- think it is. Pe- people, are gonna, people are saying, no, I am not bringing maggots into my house and feeding them. Yeah. I mean, my dad was a single man for a long time. Uh, okay. So anyways, let's, let's get past the maggot thing, though. Okay. Bait. Here's my question with the maggots, and then we'll move on. Why does this work for bait? Because maggots, I relate maggots to rotten food in my garbage can in the middle of summer when it's hot as hell out. Why would there be maggots under the ice? Well, that's a great question. Why does a fish hit any lure? I don't know. I don't either, but maggots seem to work. Okay. I think white is a very popular natural color. I think that... um, Well, anything that's in the water for very long loses its pigment because it basically gets flushed away, right? Yep. So anything dead or anything like that. Okay. I, I don't know why, but white is a very popular color. We used to, uh, you could get uh, multicolored spikes. Uh, they often used to feed these things on cooked turkey, like lunch meat. Okay. That's what they would, at the bait shop, they, you know, they would, that's how they propagated their their maggots. Do they give uh, off, do they give off that same odor no. as... As no. you do when you get them in the garbage. No, absolutely not. And you're actually not smelling maggots. You're smelling garbage. It's like it's like the methane or whatever. They, yeah. Don't they give off like a methane smell? I've never really gotten that. Really? No. Maybe it's just, okay, whenever I open up a garbage and I got, you know, maggots or whatever in there, it seems like it has kind of a, like a methane-y type smell. And I just assume that was just the off-gassing from whatever they're eating. But you're saying... Uh, I think that's more of a function of your rotting garbage than okay. your... Than, than, than the maggots. Uh, maggots. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's Anyways, so, so maggots don't smell. So you're saying that they don't really smell. I've never had an issue with it, no. And you can use cooked meat, and they'll eat cooked meat that's well, not the, rotting. The spikes would eat cooked turkey, and okay. uh, waxworms, we'd give them uh, just bread. We'd put a couple pieces of bread in there with their sawdust. Okay. In a glass bowl because they can't climb out of it. They get nearly vertical and they just fall off of it. I know it's weird. I don't know. I don't understand it either, but that's, it works. So. Okay. All right. Now, what happens if you have them too long? Do they turn into flies? Yeah, they will. And or then your house? Too much? And then the house? house well, so flies. first what happens is your, um, 
your mega gets kind of a hard shell around the outside of it. It's basically a cocoon, you know. Um, so it has a pupil stage. Yeah. And uh, so when that happens, <laughs> we throw it away. <laughs> okay. We sift through them every day or two, you know. A lot of times those things fall to the bottom. And then, of course, you know, when the fly starts crawling out, they can't fly right away. I don't know. We, we maintained it. We You know, we did a lot of ice fishing growing up, so we, we were always going through sure. the maggots. So it, it, it seems like an ordeal to you now, and it seems like an ordeal to me now that you describe the whole thing. Right. But it really wasn't that much trouble. So, um, so okay. You so, could just go buy, a, you know, I used to sell my old chew tins when I chewed yeah. to the, the bait shop for a quarter because they'd put wax worms and maggots in them. So, yeah, every year I would save up a Xerox box, a couple five-gallon pails full of chew cans. I'd save my chew cans all year. I'd bring them in, and they'd give me a quarter credit, so I'd get, like, free bait plus ten bucks. Oh, it was great. <laughs> you know? So just stretch. We almost hit elk here the last two times I've been through here. All right. So, uh, I haven't uh, I haven't seen anybody around here that's carrying uh, maggots, maggots waxworms, yeah. anything no, like that. I haven't seen it. Um, and I've looked... High and low, I went in probably a 60-mile radius. Um, cannot find anybody. But what I have found is these little white, uh, it's actually uh, a Berkeley Gulp. Yep, I'm familiar with yeah, Berkeley Ber- 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 Berkeley makes Gulp, right? Yes, they do. Okay, that was right. Uh, anyways, Berkeley Gulp Live, Alive, and it's got the little liquid in there. Yeah. And they got a bunch of little, it, they're just artificial wax worms. Yep. And they're white, and that's what we're going to try today. I've got um, some green ones. Okay. So we got I've got a I've got a I've really I've got a myriad of different colored rubber fake baits designed for ice fishing with me. Okay. Um, I'll tell you last time it was difficult to get these fish to bite on rubber bait uh, with any sort of you know, you'd get a hit, but like if they were just kind of mouthing at it, you weren't it took me a while to get a couple of fish. But when I did, um, <laughs> it got a little easier. Okay. We figured it out. We, so, so, and you prefer a jig head, a small jig head, versus yep. a hook and... What is on my... I have two different rods that are set up right now. One of them has um, what we call a teardrop. It's basically a, a small teardrop-shaped piece of tin soldered to a bait holder hook, and it's got it's painted. Okay. Uh, that's orange, mostly. Uh, a lot of the paint's gone, so it's kind of just kind of a shiny silver. The other one I have is called a Moon Jig. Um, it's a kind of a grub-looking body that's a white glow paint on a probably number 14 bait holder hook. Okay. Um, both of those jigs, the teardrop's probably a 164th ounce, and the Moon Jig's probably a 132nd, would be my guess. Okay. And you, can, and you can find, if you can't find these things locally, you should be able to find them online, right? You can absolutely find them online. You're probably not going to find them locally in an area where ice fishing is not common. Okay. So, western Washington, probably not. Yeah. I have all this stuff as holdovers from the Midwest. I'm sure it's all available online. I'm sure of it. Yeah. There's, there's like I said, a ton of companies that make this stuff. But in, in a, if you're in an area where ice fishing is uncommon, western Washington, I mean, really, even Yakima. Or even, or even of, western Oregon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I would just stick with a small hook and a weight. That's, that's okay. kind of my workaround. Gotcha. Um, for that. All right. So, 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 so covered rod, line, hook, and auger. And auger. Uh, oh, another one we, we should talk about is the scoop. Look at them so, butcher that cow right there. Oh, gee. Autumn. Cool. Autumn. Check it out. They're, They're butchering, butchering a cow. cow. I know window. this guy, too. He works right down the road from my house. That mobile slaughter. 
straight cows there. I can't see that stuff. Those ones in the timber. Yeah, they love, they love the hide in that timber there. Well, there's some geese over there, too. Yeah. Man, we're just in the paradise today. Sportsman's paradise. Um, anyways. Another herd up here. Oh, yeah. Into the timber. Oh, look at that in the yeah, they're all getting pushed down in the valley. Um, but yeah, I, I brought one just because I thought for autumn, you know. Hey, that's fine. Worst case scenario, if nothing else. She might get hypothermia, but at least she'll be bobbing above the ice. That's right. <laughs> what do you think? What is that? Another 50 head there? Uh, when you want Blackfoot? Yeah, like Mr. Deeds, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say there's probably 30, 35, probably at yeah. least. But, anyways, okay, there's so. one spike in there, I see. So, we have uh, squirrel. squirrel. <laughs> uh, we have, you want some kind of rope. You want some kind of rope, you want maybe a life jacket or something, and then a buddy. Yeah. Those, those are kind Warm of your basics. Clothes, you know, you, you want to be comfortable enough that you can sit out there for a while. And, you know, what I'm bringing as far as clothing, because I've never done it before, we're just bringing our ski clothes. Yep, nothing just wrong with that. a pair of ski bibs, uh, your heavy ski coat, um, some, you know, sweatshirts, long johns, uh of course, I'm wearing standard winter sports wear. Of course, I'm wearing my merino base layer. Naturally, right. Um, and then, yeah, and then I brought rubber boots, the neoprene yep. rubber boots. And uh, so, well, yeah, I brought your rubber boots too, babe. Well, you can you can wear whatever you want. Um, yeah. So the whole thing, the other thing I'll say is, just because somebody else is out on the ice doesn't mean it's safe. That guy could be an idiot. Back in Minnesota, <laughs> almost every year, a couple of teenagers would fall through the ice driving in their car too early and die. Almost every year in Minnesota. In yeah. Wisconsin. Okay. Happened almost every year. Oh, look, you know, there's that guy's got his pickup out there. And so he, they drive their car out there. They get into a dumb spot. They go through. Boom, dead. Um, so it's not something to mess around with. And if you're worried about it, you know, either ask somebody that knows or just don't go out there. It's not that big a deal. So... Um, this lake was interesting. Oops, must be in a hurry. This yeah. this lake was interesting in that there was like two inches of ice, layer of slush. Two inches of ice, layer of slush. Then a good like foot thick plate of ice. What, lower. Is, what does that mean? It means that it was cold, and then it wasn't cold. Then it was cold, and then it wasn't. Yeah, cold. Yeah, but then if you got cold. ice above it, shouldn't the ice below it freeze? Yeah, but snow also is very uh, a very good insulator. And okay. water changes temperature the slowest. So, so if people if people are, are augering and they come across a little bit of water, slushy water that you keep digging, yeah, that so doesn't necessarily mean it's bad ice. Yeah, there's another thing too. So if you walk out onto a frozen pond or lake or whatever, and you step in and there's four inches of water on top of the ice, what is your first thought? Iceberg dead ahead. Yeah, you're well, <laughs> you're on a floating the, piece of ice. The uninitiated think, oh my god, this is not safe. Yeah. Well, it could be safe. It could it could also be not safe. The, the whole thing is, you know, you find a spot where you're a little distance from shore, but still in water that you feel is probably over your head or under your, you know, under six feet deep. Right. Right. You're not you're not going to drown, drown in. And test it. You know, get a hole through the ice. And if you've only got a hand axe, it could be a little bit of work, but it's probably the right thing to do. Anyway, safety okay. talk over. This is not a safety talk. Yeah. Um, no, safety is what we need. Yeah. We need to make sure that but, these people yeah. aren't going to kill themselves. If you see 50 people out there and they're all fishing, you're probably good to walk out there with them. Yeah. You know, this is this is Common the one sense. place that you're safe to mansplain. Mm-hmm. 
or dad's plan or whatever you want to call it because people need the information so feel feel free to go on any tirade you want to but no um, so so today so last time i was up here we drilled a couple of holes in about 12 10 or 12 feet of water and we fished there for a little while we got a couple bites it went fine i wanted to be a little bit deeper we punched another 70 yards out we drilled some more holes and then we were in about 20 feet of water um And in 20 feet of water, most of our fish were coming through in the bottom five feet of the water column. And then right around eight feet below the ice, we were getting another another band of fish coming through. So they would kind of filter through, and I could see that because of my sonar unit. I have a Vexilar. It's not old, old, but it's... We'll get into that in a minute, because I got a lot of questions for that. Yep. So, uh, on the Vexilar. And so I would normally keep my baits down near the bottom. And if there was something, I kind of jiggle it. I try to make them chase it up and down, um, you know, and then set the hook when you get a bite. There's a big herd over there. Oh, man. That is, that is a big so, herd. So far, all three herds of elk that we saw mm-hmm. are in the exact same spot as I saw them two weeks ago. Yeah, they they, they kind of hang out in the same areas. There oh, should be yeah. another one around the corner off to the left yeah. up here. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I got this sonar unit, which makes it a little bit more like watching TV. Okay, um, so... But it improves your catch rate dramatically. So you could do this without a sonar, right? Absolutely. Okay. And I did it without a sonar until I was in my mid twenties. And and your your tactic without a sonar is drilling lots of holes until you get in bites. Um, no, not always. A lot of times okay. my tactic with this without a sonar was go where I know people were catching fish or where I've caught fish in the past and fish the same way. Okay. Which is not a bad theory. Um, you know, a lot of times I'd set up a tip up and I would. For pike or something bigger. There's another herd right there. No. Um, I and then uh, or set up a tip, some tip downs, and just sit there. You know that was easy because you're like, okay, I know the fish are in here this time of year. Just put your tip downs in and just wait. They'll cruise through. So even so, let's say you're going first timer, going to a lake you've never been to. Mm-hmm. You test your eyes. You get out there with your hundred dollars worth of gear. You drill a couple holes. You're just going to bait up with your wax worm or your spike, and you're going to dunk it in the hole, and you're going to wait. Yeah. That's Red worms and leaf worms, too, not a bad not a bad idea. Now, what exactly are those? Just small. It's like a night crawler, but smaller. Okay. Just a regular old trout fishing worm. Uh, there's no problem with that. Okay. The guy, There was a guy and a gal up here last time I was up here, and uh, they were using red worms. And they caught fish. I saw them. I watched them catch fish. So. Okay. And they had, like, a number six bait holder hook, just a... Looked way too big and probably three-eighths of an ounce of lead on there. They, you know, So with a really coarse setup, in my opinion, they right. were still catching fish. Okay. Now, I tend, to, I tend to go micro through the ice, and I don't know. There are times that I've used big stuff and caught fish just fine, but it seems like most of the time, if they're not going to hit a certain size bait, they're not going to hit the big ones. So I try to go smaller and just avoid that. So the problem I'm having is these jigs are so small. The jigs are so small that I just, uh, I'm having a hard time getting them down in the hole. And so I noticed if I let my line out and then I, which is unconventional for normal, uh, normal fishing, but pull that line out of, off my drag, off my reel. Mm-hmm. 
And then once I get past the tip, then just kind of take my hand in straight line, just yep. hand feed it down yeah, through absolutely. the hole. I found it seems to be working better. But yeah, this is uh, this whole thing is just kind of a. It's different. It is. It's a. It's a completely different world compared to regular fishing. Rod and reel fishing. That is. So you're you're gonna do a bobber setup. Yep. Okay. And what's your reasoning behind that is because we don't I'm hoping we're not that doing any the, good. Um how still these fish are being. Yeah. I'm hoping that that'll um, this might trigger some more bites because it will eliminate the uh For us to uh, jig. Why does snow have to be so cold? Well, that's its nature. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why snow has to be cold. Why couldn't it be hot? Um, well, it wouldn't be snow. Then it would be hot. sand. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I just had like six of them phase through. Okay. I'm not, I'm. Decided I'm not going to touch this. Thing. I'm just going to watch. Still a couple below me. See this little tab right here? That's for pulling it on. Oh, help me get this level on, Dad. My fingers are right here. Hold them. Push. Push. Gosh. You have to do it. I can't do it for you. I just pushed it. Okay, well. I'm going to get this down. I did that with this one. You want a surefire way to keep the snow out of your glove? Yeah, duct tape. Take your hands out of your out of the snow. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. So. Oh, look, somebody else. We we have other people out here fishing. We got competition. I told you, as soon as we start doing this, everybody's gonna start doing it. We're trendsetters. Yeah, yeah. So I had one look at me for a good while there. Okay. What the hell? Well, I'm gonna steal them from you. Jig, jig, jig. Jig your jig. Jig, jig, jig. No? Okay. It gets monotonous out here on the ice. Does it now? <laughs> did you learn that in your first hour of your first ice? Yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> Not catching crap. Uh, you can tell where my daughter gets it from. We're an impatient people. I tell people the story like the first year you were duck hunting with me. Yeah. Remember I went out and got that layout blind and I went over yeah. to that other spot and some ducks landed by you. Right. And I'm like, shoot him, shoot, you know, what is he doing? And then after a couple of minutes, I called you and they flew, they flew away. Like, did, why didn't you shoot those? Ah, I had my gun taken apart. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, <laughs> you got I've, shit at home. <laughs> I, for, I forget why. I forget. Yeah, I don't, something was going on. I, you know, I don't remember. What, what gun was it? Oh, I was using that Mossberg 935, wasn't I? I yeah. hate that damn gun. I'm glad I got rid of it. 
Yeah, it kept jamming on me for no reason. I don't know. Never can tell with these things. You know, being an ice fishing pro and all. But, yeah, it just... It's just a different... It's, it's complete. It's actually... I don't know. It's, I kind of... So far, I mean, I haven't caught any fish yet, but so far... I almost might enjoy it better than regular fishing. Yeah. I don't know. The thing is, you're... If you got a sonar, at least, you know what's going on. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. You gotta know how to read the sonar. You can see what's happening. Right. What are you doing? That's a decent fish. Oh, we got one. Fish on! Well, shit. Yeah, he's running on you. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Probably he, about the same size as the other one that we. He's a fighter. Oh yeah, nice, beautiful rainbow. Nice rainbow. Yeah. Get him away from the ice hole. Get him away from your ice hole. <laughs> I'm just trying to get this damn bobber set up. I know. That's that's usually how it works, dude. When you're not paying attention. Oh, well, I haven't even got a fucking bite yet, so. You both got fish on the board. You got two fish on the board. Yeah, I do. I think I need to sw switch up my jig. This jig sucks. Okay. Let's try it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. Well, honestly, uh, seeing what's happening. Why are you digging in your ice hole? What's that? We can set the bobber over there. Yeah. I'm going to get this one back down there. Why are you just digging in your ice hole? Hey. That's not funny. Because right they're scared to get out on the ice like we are. Alright. Dropping down. Dive, dive. See that? I did that. I waited too long. Yeah. I should have done it earlier. What the hell is going on here? You do whatever you want, princess. There's one at about 10 or 11 right now. Is that me? No. Well, you might be in there, but there's a fish in there, too. I can't tell where I'm at. Give it a good hard jig. Well, it's not... That ain't you yet. It's like not Keep one. Keep bringing it down. Keep sending it down. There, there I am. There it is. I'm there just... Way up there. Come on, you son of a... Where's my jigging at? You see where I'm jigging? Yeah, you're like spider. What the heck? Why isn't it going down any farther? I need it. Oh. Alright, clean out the ice hole. The ice hole. Yeah. Rule number 13 never have a crusty ice hole. Double tap. Double tap. <laughs> that is a Zombieland reference. Yep. Isn't it, kiddo? 
Oh, come on. You love me too, Zombieland. Have you seen two yet? Yeah. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago. Yeah, we, we did two. It was pretty good. Where in the hell is going on? Where is this? Oh, I like how she had the peanut allergies. I can't. And I thought she was turning into a zombie. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Okay, so. I don't think my jig's heavy enough. Yeah, I mean... Is it going down now? Oh, they're now showing up. It was like stuck on something. That's me? Okay. I'm just being a whiner. Because I haven't caught a fish yet, so now I'm going to be Mr. Whiny Pants. I'm going to be that guy. Oh! This is bullshit. I want to go home. <laughs> right? Is that his go-to? Oh yeah, 15 minutes of anything, he's done. Uh. Hmm. Well, I did not set the slip bobber up very prettily. I forgot to take the bobber Pr stop off. Pr prettily? Prettily. Is that, is that a word? Is that a... Is that a Middle Eastern thing? Yeah. You mean critically? No, not critically. In a pretty manner. <laughs> Prettily. Prettily. I like this rod. If one is prettily, one is not quite pretty. They're going way farther out than us. Yeah. Their huevos are bigger than our huevos. Not even about that. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Yeah, cold all of a sudden. Uh, no, Autumn. <laughs> Find a less needy activity. Who's yeah. at ten? We got a fish on you. Oh, dude. come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> that was a Doors reference, by the way. Oh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> come on. You dirty little. Please, please bite my line. Just one. That's all I want. You know what was funny? So, I, I tell myself I'm not superstitious. Yeah. But I am, like, so <laughs> I'm looking at my rack of hats in the closet today. Uh -huh. I'm like, hmm, which hat is the luckiest? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's that's my going that's my that's my Saturday night going out hat. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's my work hat. I'm like, ah, that one might not be very warm. I'm really glad that you say that because I have uh, two dress hats yeah. that I use. Uh, I think that's real funny. Yeah, and so I was like, finally, I'm like, all right, well, this one I've never had bad luck with, so. <laughs> And I was going to wear the hat I wore all hunting season, but since I got skunked all year, I'm like, screw yeah, it. I, don't wear that I'm, I'm not wearing that unlucky son of a gun. Hey, you got something going on. So, yeah. So, apparently, I'm subconsciously uh, superstitious. <laughs> For whatever that's worth. Oh, man. So is this thing ready to go then? No. Oh. But darn near. Why don't you set it in there and oh, give me a hand real quick. 
Okay. So you got to set the depth? Is that... gonna, yeah, that's and we're going to do it with the sonar. So the way we got this is we got a bait and a jig just like before, and then this really small pencil bobber and a um, bobber stop. Yeah, open your bail. So now, now we got the sonar over here in the same hole, and we're going to use the sonar to set our bobber stop. Is that the idea? Yep. Okay. Now, we've got a lead weight and a jig. Weight, jig. Okay. Okay, drop her down. And she's going to actually... Weight is too heavy, so we're going to take the weight off. I was going to say... But the bobber stop is set now, so you can just reel it straight okay. up. Okay. And then if we do end up getting a fish on that, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that the... Um, so you just want to take the weight completely off? Yep, just take her off, and then you're going to have to feed it in by hand, but it'll be a second one just sitting there. Okay, here's, here's your weight back. Is that a fish biting? Or is that the wind? Okay. Do, 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 do. You might need to pull it through the bobber too. That's a real thin bobber, so. Seems like it's going. I don't think it's moving at all. Yeah, all right, well. This seems ridiculous, but even in a shack, this would be required sometimes with these uh this is a two-man operation well no but it's you got to do this sometimes especially when you're using light like just micro tackle yeah that's what's causing this here comes your bobber stop and you're good okay Oh really? Yep. Okay. Or close to it. So and you don't need your bail open. You got enough there. So. And that's just so that it it is going to hook itself well, basically. Well, no. When you have if something takes it, you want to let it to be able to take a little bit of line. And if you're way off to the side, yeah. with only a certain amount, it's just going to feel it. Okay. So. so you want that slack so it'll take it. Yeah, and so, you know sometimes it doesn't matter, but it's like on the off chance it does. Yeah. Right. Why not just. I used to do a lot of crappie fishing, and they were real big crappies. Were on the oh, I feel something. I don't, I don't like this resistance. Right. But the fact that that tiny little lead weight made that bobber go down leads me to believe that a, a fish isn't going to have any problems. Yeah, there's like. My big toes are getting a little cold. Oh. Because my feet have been sitting under the water line for a while here. <laughs> I'm noticing there's quite a bit of maintenance. 
on the the ice hole. Yeah, when you're in a shack and there's a heater going, there's almost yeah. none. Yeah. Because the, the warmth of the shack keeps it clear. Which is, you know, that's nice. It's nice to do that. But, like, on a day like this, your feet are still going to be sitting in the water the whole time. Right. There is no shack that I've ever seen that keeps you out of the water. When, you know, you get a lot of snow and a lot of ice on it. Um, you know, the water comes up on top. There's water all over this whole lake, and it's insulated by the snow. Right. No, it's just kind of a weird concept that, you know, you you, you feel like the ice should be on top of the water. But yet, once you drill holes, then the water comes up, and you got an inch or two of water on top of the ice. Yeah. It's 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 hard to explain. Well, every snowfall changes the weight dynamic. You know, yeah. So every snow that comes in, it's like, oh, it's a little heavier, so it's pushing a little farther. Hairline cracks start letting a little water up, and and that then snow those just freeze. And that's why yeah. you get that like ice slush, ice slush. Gotcha. Back home, where it gets a lot colder for a lot longer, right? It's less of an issue. You normally have just one solid piece of ice. You know, you'll still have some slush on top, but. I broke this thing last time, and I was like, dang it. You know, you can get them for like two or three bucks back home, but I'm like, fuck, I can't, you know, I'm never going to find one of these things out here. What's the little rod? Oh, no, the, the scoop. Oh, you're, yeah. Amazon, brother. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I should have, I should have ordered it right after last time I went fishing, though. They're way over there, and they're right on the shoreline. Yeah. Those other people were in shallow water, too. What are you doing over there, Autumn? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Uh, you're, you're trying if to you be a turtle? If you want to play in the snow, you should make our wall bigger. Yeah. A what? Build the wall. Yeah, build the wall. Trump's wall? Trump's wall. Okay. I'll do it. But build it out of snow. Yep. I think I'm gonna have to go for the uh, the yellow snow cone walk. Yeah. It's getting about that time. I need to go for I I peed in the timber up there before me. <laughs> what are you doing? Building a wall. Huh? Building a wall. You gotta build no, it in the back. You, you build this wall. Build taller. that wall up so Here. the wind does the wind break. Give you my fitting bucket. And you can take that. My other fish is under this fish, so don't don't put him, build him into my wall. But what you can do is you fill the whole bucket with snow, not by smashing down on it, because that'll break the bucket, but by scooping. Full. And then you pack it in, turn it upside down, and you smack it down on top of the wall. All right, Autumn. So you caught your first ice fish. What do you think? I want fun? Pringles. Was it worth it? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? I want Pringles. What was your tactics that you used? Can you, tell? You, you, you can't you can't eat and talk at the same time. Tell me your tactics you use first. Sitting here and eating Pringles. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're getting a bite. You're getting a bite. No, she's not. It's oh. just the wind. Is that the wind? Okay. I've been watching. So walk me through what happened. You're sitting there eating Pringles. Mm-hmm. And then what? And then I caught a fish. Well, how, how did you catch the fish? Did you notice the rod tip bend? Mm-hmm. No. Did, 
did did, um, did Spencer, Spencer just grab your rod and yeah. jerk it and then Spencer hand it to you? Spencer brought the fish mm-hmm. to about three feet below the ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a beautiful fish. What kind of fish was it? Rainbow fish. Rainbow trout? Yeah. Okay. So, and we caught that on a, a jig and a... Uh, yeah, a little jig and a... In a gulp maggot. Fake Berkeley. You smell like maggots. Yeah. So. And we figured that one was about 10 feet. Uh, yeah, that was about 10 feet down. Okay, so you got a bunch of fish there about 15, is that what I'm seeing? Yeah, between 15 and 20, where the bottom is at 20. Okay. So They've kind of been phasing in and out, but I'm getting a lot of them around 10 also. And, uh... And Autumn was using just a little, like, silver spoon-looking thing, right? Oh, fish on! Fish! Fish on! Does not feel very big. Woo! Yeah, that's a... That's a that's a pretty one. Oh, he's gone. That's a good-looking... Uh, I can... Oh, he stepped on him. <laughs> Whoops. But he stopped swimming now. Nope. Can you eat that thing? You can eat any fish. Fish are good to eat. Especially really cold fish like these. Yeah. So, post-ice fishing now, um, I have a few questions. One, the bite. I feel as a new person trying to ice fish and watching somebody that knows how to ice fish catch all the fish and somebody that has never ice fished not catch any fish and get frustrated, what is it about the way the bite happens with ice fishing that's different than regular fishing? Well, I, I think it, it can go either way. I've had days that are very different than today where every time you get a bite, it feels like a 15-inch fish. You okay. know, wham, every time. But today it was very light. Last time it was also very light. Maybe it's a trout thing. Um, I haven't fished trout through the ice in a long time, but pretty much every single time I got a bite... I set the hook. It was like, as soon as I felt it, boom, set the hook. Um, I think with the wind, it was it was difficult to sense when we were getting bites. I think if we'd have been in a shack or if there had been zero wind, it would have been a little easier. Um, also, just reading the sonar, you know, yeah. just making the fish, you know, I was telling you this out there, but if there's two or more fish on your sonar, if you, if you can see clear marks that are separate, I try to kind of get them all into the same area, and then I'll try to get below them and raise up my bait, you know, two feet or so, you know, maybe those fish were in the middle of the two feet. So I start below them, I finish above them, and I'm jiggling a little, but as they come up to investigate my bait, I stop, I hold dead calm still most of the time, and that's how you can tell when they're biting a lot easier. Um, I told those other guys out there that same thing, and then boom, that guy hooked one. So clearly that was working, part of that was working, you know, whether it was the dead calm or starting below and coming up, I don't know. That's just a tactic I've used a lot before. No, that that tactic was working for me today. The difference being that the bite was so subtle and I guess from warmer water fishing, trout fishing, but, you know, in the summertime, springtime, whatever, when in fishing with the bobber, fishing away from you, that bobber goes under, you give it a jerk. If that bobber goes under and you don't jerk immediately, you lose the fish. They snap your bait, they're gone. Yep. And I think where, 
where I had a chance to catch a fish and I screwed it up today was that I saw the tick on the end of the rod. I knew there was a fish on the monitor. It was obviously a strike, but because it was so light and so quick, I was behind it enough that I'm like, well, I might as well not even jerk now because it's going to be gone. We'll yeah, wait for it to hit again. Right. Yeah. And and what you're saying, or what you told me later, was that realistically what's probably happening is that what, what I seen was the fish putting it in its mouth and it's just holding on to it. So even if it was a second or two behind, I could have probably still set that hook and had it. Yeah, and I think by that time we were using real bait. Right. Um and we found that today worms were working the best of anything. Yeah, night crawlers, which of course we didn't have, but I traded my the use of my shovel for some night crawlers with yeah. some other guys, and that nothing, worked out fine. Nothing wrong with a little bargaining. Yep. And um, you know what's got to be the worst thing in the world, though. What's that? And I and I I don't care what kind of fish you. If you go out fishing and you have a certain type of bait or a certain type of something, lure, or whatever, and the guy next to you borrows some of that from you and he catches a shit ton of fish and yeah. you don't catch any, that's a piss me off. Infuriating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which is exactly what happened to those two guys oh, next to us today. God. They gave us a night crawler. Yeah. And we cut it into little chunks and what did I get? Three or four fish? At least. You know, yeah. within 20 minutes. And, yeah, and nice and, fish. And nothing for them still. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. That's why it's called fishing. Yeah. Not catching. But yeah, that that to me, my buddy does that to me all the time, yeah. steelhead fishing, and it drives me up a wall. But anyway, side note. So so yeah, so basically, I guess what I learned today was whether they it's just a tick bite, set the hook. Even if you're completely missed it, even if you're completely behind it by a second, half a second, set it anyways. Yeah, I mean for today, you know. Right. I've had it before where I've used a camera ice fishing, and okay. there's been times I have watched fish put my bait completely inside their mouth, and I did not see any movement. Right. And the only way I was getting those fish is because I had a camera on them. And that's not realistic for everybody. Right. Those things aren't cheap, so. What kind of camera were you using? Um, I own a camera, and I should have looked for it and tried to charge it, because that would have been fun, but it's about the size of your thumb, or a, ba a big baby carrot. And the wire it's on, is it's like a 100-pound braid. It's, like, very lightweight. It's got an LCD screen, maybe two and a half by four inches. Mm. And uh, it's color when you got it out of the water, but as soon as you put it in the water and get below, like, four feet right. down, it's black and white. Sure. You, know? um, you can't... It, it's very difficult to actually tell what size the fish are. Okay. Unless there's more than one. And then all you can tell is, oh, that one's smaller than the other one, you know? Right. Um, Basically, you can see that... This how did we get, pulled out of our way before? Yeah, how did we get behind Well, we stopped when I burned my hand up at oh, coffee. Oh, that's what it was. It's okay, buddy. Just go back over there. I'm not going to pass you. I'll slow down and get off your butt. I'm not, I'm not going to pass you on a hill, downhill, crazy. Anyways, but, um, yeah, so so that was, that was something that I guess I learned. Um, and then we did a bopper setup today. Yep, and we got two out of our eight or nine fish, I think, yeah. on that. Yeah, um, and, and that was that was interesting in the fact that what I learned from that was basically the reel on a ice pole is basically worthless. <laughs> it's for spinning. It's for it's for spooling the line up at the end of the day. Really? Yeah, I mean, 
there's so much more you do with your bare hands. It's almost like yeah, hand well, lighting. Four pound test. It's difficult to see. Yes, right. right? And I'm using clear line. It's not blue line or anything right. like that. So it's tough to see. It sticks to everything. Um, it's a little easier in a shack. You know, if you were to have a nice shack and you got a little heater running in there, it keeps the holes from icing over in your shack. You can sit there and, I mean, I've done it in a t-shirt, but most of the time you're in your sweatshirt and your pants. And right. um, that's really nice because then you're, you're, you're fishing. You're not worried about how cold you are. You're not worried about uh, your holes freezing over. You're just, you're just fishing. But just, but just from a technique standpoint, these are just like some techniques that I picked up that are different for me than yeah. normal, everyday trout fishing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like the line's not going to go in the hole just right. So the best, with a, even with a bobber, you basically have to open your bail. One hand you hold the bobber, and the other hand you're feeding the you're line. You're stripping line through the bobber and letting it feed down the hole. And we yeah. had decent wind today. So, of course, if you're if you're standing up doing this, now you've got four feet of line between your hand and the ice. Right. And that's a, that's a four-foot length of line for the wind to grab and blow like a kite. Right. Yeah, and it definitely did. And then it sticks in the ice, and it gets trapped, mm -hmm. and then it froze, blah, blah, blah. And you can't see where it's going. And it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. But, yeah, if you keep everything close to the opening of the hole, um, the bobber system, I, I kind of like that because it's kind of a set and forget type thing. Yeah. It's um, easier to drink beer <laughs> if you're bobber fishing or tip-up fishing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, today would have been a... I guarantee you, the way we had the day to day, I, I probably would have been three sheets in the wind by the time we got done. Yeah. Like, I would have Warm had no though. problem. Yeah. I would have no problem yeah. uh, drinking a crap load of beer doing what we did today. Oh, yeah. So, oh, that then, used to be my favorite in college. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm going to put that little, we have a little video uh, that we took of you doing the auger. Uh, auger okay. it out of hole. And so I'll put that up on my uh, Instagram so people can watch it there. But, yeah, the the little the little auger system was something else that I was not at all. I guess I don't watch a lot of ice fishing. I, I don't yeah. have a lot of ice fishing uh, gusto. So you saw me pick it up and pop a hole in about what fifteen seconds? Yeah. And then you, I hand it to you, <laughs> and, and I felt it like it took had a, you a minute. You yeah. know, and not like significantly longer, but you know, a minute. Yeah, it. it I felt definitely like I had two left feet. There is there is hands. a method to the madness, and it is. I, you know, but I grew up doing this. It's right. like riding a bike. You, you pick up the auger and you drill a hole, you know. Yeah. No, it was it was definitely uh, a little different. And I think momentum was half my problem. Yeah. Yeah, um, you just don't stop. Yeah, I was worried more about keeping the hole perfectly vertical yeah. when I should have been more worried about uh, getting that thing spinning. So, because I felt like as I kind of popped through those little slush pockets. The layers, yeah. And I hit the, the solid ice, it... It needed more force to get get it started. It kind of bound up on me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it it's just like you said. It is a just a giant uh, wood auger is all it is. Yeah. It's a six inch wood four foot wood auger. Um, yep. So yeah, I mean, I guess the, every time I've watched it uh, or seen somebody doing it, it's it's been an electric auger or gas powered auger. Yeah. So uh, a motorized and so. It was like, oh, well, this is kind of a cool new thing. Yep. Um, the poles, actually, I thought I had a short rod at three feet. It was might even a three-foot rod, two-and-a-half-foot rod. It's three-foot. Yeah. Um, and you, you, your rods are even a foot, foot-and-a-half shorter than that. Yep. So that was interesting. Um, 
I couldn't tell you what it feels like to fight a fish on that pole because I never caught a fish. <laughs> but on, I caught a fish on all the rods today. Yeah. Um, it was fine. It was longer. Right. It was a little floppier at the end. Um, you know, your classic ugly stick feel. Yeah. But I could. I definitely felt that fish hit. And I set the hook, and it was fine. Yeah. I think one of the things you got to consider is when you're trying to pull a fish from the water into the hole, right? And today we had, between the slush and the actual ice, we probably had about a three to three and a half foot um, hole, hole yeah. column, you know, right. hole cylinder that to get from the air to the water, basically. Mm. So, excuse me. What you want to do is, you know, you think about the line coming from your rod tip, which is going to be a foot or two above the ice, yeah. down into that hole, and then to the fish. You know what a trout does as you get it closer and closer to the hole? It's making circles. Right. It's, it's circling. And so you get to a point where that thing's just going gangbusters. So you get that fish close to the ice, and you got to take it easy. Right. And you might not have noticed, but when Autumn was fighting the fish... Right. I grabbed the line when it got to that point. Yeah. Because I've done this before and I right. know what's gonna happen. You're gonna yard on it it's and gonna it's wall. gonna hit the wall and the hook is gonna jam into the wall of the hole and the, the fish is gonna go back down right. to the bottom. So um, I don't think that we lost any fish at the hole we did, today. We didn't lose any fish. But that's yeah. a very common occurrence is losing whole fish in the holes. So those bigger rainbows that we caught, what do you what are you thinking? Those were pound, pound and a half? I'm not very good at that game. 12 inches. Yeah, uh, I, I would say there's some there that are at least 14. Some of the, there's that uh, last one Autumn caught, I think the last one you caught, those those got to be 14 inches. Well, measure them when we get home. Yeah, those those are, for rainbow trout on western Washington, those were big. Oh, yeah. They are, they're nice. They're nice rainbows. I mean, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, they were beautiful sure. fish. And what I thought was weird that I noticed both the brookies and the rainbows, because I'm used to... I'm used to Washington fish, and I've caught brookies, and I've caught rainbows uh, in the summertime, and there's silver, and you know, some of them might be hatchery or whatever, but they're pretty colorful fish, you know, um, and those fish were almost black. Very dark. Yeah, I mean... It, same same last week. It reminds ago. me of, like, I guess if, you, if you've ever been salmon fishing, it kind of reminds me of, like, the rotted boot salmon. Yeah. You know, bit, like it's just they're just, and I, I'm guessing it's Very the similar. cold water. Yeah. So, or maybe wintertime and lack of light does some weird stuff to fish. Yeah. I have fished. Okay, so there's two, two different uh, stories I'll tell here. One of them, it, they're both in Minnesota, both ice fishing. One of them is a is a small backwater lake near my house where I grew up. The whole lake's about two to three feet deep. And it's muddy as hell. Okay. Very, very low visibility. And there's two little springs in that uh, along the bank of that lake, and the, these just mongoloid crappies, 15, 16-inch fish, stack up there in the winter for whatever reason at these two little spots, and we, you can go out and get them every once in a while. You'd also get a lot of sunfish in there, nice sunfish sometimes. And you'd go back there, and you'd be jigging for these things, you know, 12 inches of water under the ice, nothing, barely enough it feels like for that fish to get through there. And you'd pull them up, and they almost look like they've been drinking bleach. They're like a whitish, like, like a cave fish. Okay. You know, like most of the pigment was gone from them. Right. And I thought, gosh, that's really weird. And I thought, you know, I don't have any proof of this. I haven't read anything on it. But I just thought, well, they're in 
gross water, right? right? You know, pr pretty dark water. They don't really need to be camouflaged. There's no weeds in that lake. I know for a fact. Okay. Um, so I thought they don't really need to hide from anything in here. So maybe they just kind of lose all their pigmentation. Second story, same exact pigmentation issue, but this is in a crystal clear quarry pond. Okay. Not very far away from there. You know, it varies geographically within four miles of the first spot I just described. Right. Maybe even two. Um, but yeah, same thing. I, I One after another, I'm pulling these sunfish out and they're like bleached looking. I don't know. Huh. Now this is on the scales on the outside of the skin. Yeah, yeah. When I cut into them, they don't look any different. Okay. Now see, I've had the only time I've really had the, uh, a pigment issue or whatever, uh, I was fishing on a lake over in Idaho, uh, central Idaho, and uh, apparently there's some uh, freshwater shrimp, I guess is what the, the locals call it. Like a scud? I don't know or... exactly what it is, but it, they, they call them freshwater shrimp, and it's like this lake is... It's known a, for it. Known for it. It's, it's, it's in the middle of the desert. It's like this really weird mineral spring lake. Interesting. What state was this in? Uh, Idaho. Central Idaho. And, but you'd fish with these fish, and these fish, they'd come out, you know, mostly cutthroat and stuff like that. But they would come out, and their their meat would be white. Just, like, white as, white as milk. As pure as the driven snow. Yeah, and what, they, what the locals say is that, well, the reason they're that way is because of the white, the, the coloration from the shrimp. The shrimp meat same, same kind of thing yeah, that happens to salmon. When salmon eat shrimp in the ocean, they get that, that pink color from from the yeah from from the shrimp or whatever so yeah so i thought that was kind of really other than seeing these fish i've never i mean obviously you can tell a hatchery fish from a native fish because a hatchery meat is white to pink you know kind of yeah whatever um real salmon's red right and then salmon and wild trout and wild uh steelhead are dark red orange um but i've never seen the scales I mean, these to me, these fish look like post-spawn, like extreme post-spawn fish. Yeah. They're um, dark, that's for they're, sure. They're really, really dark. And anyways. Well, you figure this lake probably doesn't have really much at all for light down there. Between no. the foot of ice and then the two and a half aggregated feet of slush and snow on that, top of wouldn't it. Wouldn't that do the opposite, though? Wouldn't that make them lighter color, like you were saying? I don't know. I would think that, like, I mean, because with human skin, the the more sunlight you get, the darker yeah. you get. The less sunlight, the lighter you get. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's bizarre. And all of it, it wasn't just the rainbows. It was the rainbows and the brookies were both dark. Yeah, super dark. Yeah. But anyways, enough on that. Um, yeah. All in all, I think it was a great day. We spent what five. Three or four hours, I think. What, what time we get there? Nine? Nine to one. What is that? I get four, four hours? hours. Yeah, four yeah. hours. Four hours of basically so four hours fishing. of fishing, four hours of driving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's a one-for-one one ratio. Um, that's good math, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. So, but it was, yeah, it was worth it. I mean, it wasn't... It was what 26 27 degrees with about uh it was downright comfortable the wind was yeah. a little annoying but yeah. other than that towards the end there we got we got some 15 or plus mile an hour winds that probably kick it down a few degrees like 
Like I said, it was middle of the day, but it was getting colder than it was in the morning. Um, yeah, but, you I know mean, what helped? We, we shoveled our, our little U, you know, slightly concave snow wall that was about three and a half feet tall and hunkered down behind that. I mean, legitimately, you think it didn't matter, but it did. If yeah. you stand, if you were to be standing or oh, just I, sitting yeah. out in the open, you would have been much windier, much colder. Yeah, no, we, we, uh, we just, I stood up and walked around a few times and it was like, oh, wow, that's a huge difference. Yep. But the other thing that I thought was weird was after we, after we drilled the holes, uh, the amount of water that was on yeah. top of the ice. We was, were standing about four or five inches. Yeah, it was a little weird. Um, it didn't seem to affect anything. I mean, I definitely would recommend if you're going to ice fish that you wear, like you said earlier, knee-high rubber boots. and Insulated. Uh, insulated preferably. or, uh, yeah, at least worst-case scenario, if you're not going to get insul- big, heavy-duty insulated rubber boots, buy the neoprene uh Muck boots, muck boots yeah. or whatever brand. Well, and I know guys that used to do it, you know, 15, 20 years ago before you could buy an insulated knee boot. Yeah. Um, guys would do uh, two pairs of socks and one of them would be electric socks. Oh, there you go. So, so you can shock you just, yourself. You just use a knee boot. Yeah. You know. Um, or sorrels, you know, just a heavy cold weather boot. But yeah. it's like, you're not just dealing with cold, you're dealing with water. Now, when you mean sorrels, is that a Middle Eastern uh, version of a pack boot? I don't know what a pack boot is. Uh, the rubber bottom, leather top. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Darn Middle Easterners, slash Midwesterners, yeah, yeah. whatever. Depends on what coast you're on, I guess. <laughs> uh, anyways, so yeah, that and that's that's just what I realized is like, okay, this is why I wore rubber boots, and I wore a pair of cotton sock liners with a heavy pair of merino socks. And then my neoprene-based rubber boots. Yep. Um, my feet were comfortable all day, except for the very end, they started getting a little cold, and I think that was probably from lack of circulation of sure. my legs. Sure, and, and same here. Yeah. Same, same here. Yeah, so... And that's what it is, you know. When your feet are in four inches of ice-cold water, yeah. even if your boots don't leak, your feet will be cold eventually. Especially if you're sitting. Yeah, and not, yeah, not doing anything. Right. Again, shack helps quite a bit. Yeah. So... But yeah, all in all, I thought I was comfortable all day. I wore a pair of uh, ski pants... Uh, uh, like a North Face style jacket and a sweatshirt, my Merino base layer, um, and I just wore a baseball cap with uh, like a neck gaiter and a and a hood, like yep. and a pair of gloves. No, nothing, nothing extravagant. No crazy yeah. Arctic gear. Just winter, good yep. winter clothes and layered up. Yep. Um, and don't don't. Uh, don't be afraid to shovel some snow. Make yeah. yourself a wall. I'm telling you, that is a game changer. Well, and the other thing is, any wind. is that I didn't realize is that we had, what, a foot and a half of snow, 18 inches of snow on top of our ice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we brought a flat, a big flat snow shovel type thing and cleared yeah, off. No, nothing plastic. That's, no. that's key. If you, even if, if you don't have one, you can go buy a square-nosed metal shovel at a hardware store for $12.00. Or if you're Spencer, you can find one at a garage sale for $2. That is correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's actually where both of my square nose shovels came from uh, that I own right now. Um, um, but, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's that's key. You know, it gets, it, when you can, you can chip a big brick of snow yeah. and use that to build your wall. We were doing that there at the beginning, you know, getting a good base layer on our well, wall. Well, and, and I think the, the important thing is that we weren't just drilling through the snow and into the ice. 
we cleared off an eight foot by six foot square. Yeah, we shoveled down to the ice before we started drilling. Yeah, we made a we cut down like a big block of snow you know, out most and made the, a wall out of most that. Most of the time back home, you know what we would do? You just take your boot and you rub it side to side, and that's it. Because there's just enough of a dust in. Just to skip. Well, it's yeah. colder, so the snow's probably. Well, it's always blowing, you know, yeah. and a lot. That's not a small lake up there, but it's not a big lake. Right. And most of the lakes we used to fish are big, big lakes. You know? Right. No, that, that's. A, I mean, I would say that's a extremely large pond, small lake. Yeah. Um, slow up just in case the dogs are out. So yeah, but that's. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of in a nutshell, ice fishing. Yeah. Um, the jigs are way smaller than I thought they'd be. The gear's way smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, you know, something I forgot to tell you, I was chatting with those guys after you guys walked off. Yeah. Um, I showed them the baits that I'd been using, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, my God, where did, you, where did you get those? And I'm like, well, in Minnesota, yeah. Wisconsin back in the day. It's like, oh, okay, because I never see anything like that around here. Well, so they were using a lot bigger stuff? Uh, I didn't look at what they were using. Okay. But they made a comment that they were small, so they must have been using bigger stuff. Right. right. Then that might have been some of their issues. Interesting. But, I mean, like I said, he hooked one while I was standing there, so. Yeah. Well, Spencer, I uh, I appreciate the uh, the lesson in ice fishing today. Good. Glad you had a good time. And we'll have to try it again soon. Thanks for listening to this mediocre outdoors podcast and please don't forget to leave a review the right hand most star would be the best but do what you think is best also if you would like to contact me about a comment a question or even new content that you would like to see you can get a hold of me at instagram mediocre outdoors all one word all lowercase Thanks for listening.